Welcome into Unbossed, it is Adrian Lawrence and I am filling in for Senator Nina Turner. First time at the helm, I'm kind of feeling it. And I'm glad that you all are here today. I also am glad in part because today's gonna be a really great show. We're gonna be tackling the Sunshine State, which is out here making it easier for bigots to be bigots. Fox News getting into it with Marjorie Taylor Greene over her national divorce little effort there. Also, we've got some behind the scenes intel from a high ranking member of the Proud Boys about that whole attack on the US Capitol, you remember that? Well, definitely during the show, do not forget to subscribe, share on the stream. Also, send your love in the comments, cuz we also love that. And we also love having Malika Jabali. She is a senior news and politics editor for Essence. So, Malika, are you excited to be here today? Hi, Adrian. I am excited and I am feeling our little color coordination this uh, afternoon. <laughs> this yes. going to be a spirited, vibrant show. Absolutely. It's nothing but love. I like this. I like this. All right, let's go ahead and kick things off. And we are going to turn to the highly awaited answers behind that train derailment that's really thrown a small town in Ohio off track. This was 100% preventable. We call things accidents. There is no accident. Every single event that we investigate is preventable. That's right, you heard it, completely preventable. That was the National Transportation Safety Board Chairwoman Jennifer Homendy. And just as the Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg is finally on the ground, we're getting the Transportation Safety Board's initial findings in that report from the derailment. Yeah, we know that we can put up the graphic there. And we know that this official report has come out even though and according to it, the crew operating the freight train that derailed on February 3rd in East Palestine, Ohio, did not receive a critical warning about the heat levels of the wheels on the cars. Now this per the AP, an engineer slowed and stopped the train after getting a critical audible alarm message according to a preliminary report by the National Transportation Safety Board. The crew then saw fire and smoke and alerted dispatch of a possible derailment, the report said. The axle investigators are focused on had been heating up as the train went down the tracks but did not reach the threshold for stopping the train and inspecting it until just before the derailment, the report said. The train was going about 47 miles per hour at the time, just under the speed limit of 50 miles per hour, according to safety investigators. Now, as much as it seems that it was going under the miles per hour, still, we gotta remember that 38 cars derailed and they contained hazardous materials there, including a highly volatile colorless gas that has the community of East Palestine terrified. Now, the report's conclusions, they're Trump administration rolling back transit safety regulations. And that's a fact that Fox News finally agreed to cop to. Apparently regulations regarding train safety were changed during the Trump administration. This particular railroad and others lobbied President Trump to dismantle an Obama era rule that would have required railroads to update their braking systems. And apparently the Obama administration had pushed for it to govern transportation of hazardous materials after about half a million barrels of crude were dumped. But ultimately the Trump administration undid that and said the costs exceeded the benefits. 
Yeah, indeed, even Fox News and right wing outlets are getting right and admitting that this is a product of the Trump administration rolling back the Obama era rules that would have helped maintain the safety for these trains. This is absolutely wild out here at Malaika is the fact that this did not have to happen. We heard it from the woman herself saying this was entirely preventable. How does this sit with you? I think it just really speaks to, I think, the sort of schizophrenia that Republicans are gonna have to endure because there have been public outcries against the CEO of Norfolk Southern. But at the same time, Donald Trump has had to pretend that he's a populist candidate. So how I'm looking forward to seeing how he's going to explain this away in terms of rolling back these deregulations, but at the same time saying that he's for the people of Ohio. If you remember, Ohio went for Obama twice and then flipped over to Trump. And it continues to look like it's going to be a Republican stronghold. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how this is going to play out. I'm sure there's gonna be some sort of culture war spin on it in order to get out of his accountability for this. Yes, and also the National Transportation Safety Board Chairwoman, Jennifer Hamadine, what she said during a press conference as well today is that this is not about politics. This isn't a partisan issue. This is a matter of the people there and safety standards that need to be in place. And that's something that needs to continue to be pushed forward here because it seems like there's a lot of partisan effort, particularly being used on the ground. We see JD Vance there trying to flout the GOP angle. We see other leaders not willing to return. Biden's calls. The fact is, those people need help. They need aid. And this was entirely preventable. Again, did not have to happen if the right safety regulations were in place. But of course, with the Trump era, no, it's okay. Let's make sure that these train liners can line their pockets with cash. And the thing is, is that we know the transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg, well, he finally decided to put his feet on the ground today in East Palestine for the first time in the two weeks following the accident. So we also know that he has also been quick to blame the Trump administration for this accident. As you see here in this Twitter graphic, which came from Buttigieg's account, he's out here saying we are constrained by some by some areas in terms of the law, constrained by the law to undo what Trump did. Claiming that all of a sudden his hands are tied, he is the transportation secretary. And it's also clear from what the NTSB said that this was entirely preventable. So how is it that this man who is at the helm and has all of this power and authority Feels like he could not do anything to change this back. It's so many questions here, and yet Buttigieg doesn't have any answers, but he seems to have plenty of pride in the response to this crisis. Watch this. I'm proud of what FRA and FIMSA have done here from day one, from the first minutes, or at least the first hours of this response. What I'm really proud of is the community that I saw here. You've got federal agencies, you've got local first responders, you've got states, but most of all, you got a community that's been through a lot. That I think is pretty frustrated with people trying to take political advantage of this situation. And my focus is going to be to make sure that our freight rail system gets safer. And anybody who wants to take political advantage of this, I'm calling them to the table. Okay, so I can agree with Buttigieg in the thought that people shouldn't be leveraging this as a partisan issue. They shouldn't be looking to score points, even though that's clearly what's going on. At the same time, if you knew that Trump had reversed an Obama era rule that made it safer, 
it's like you started your job with this knowledge and there are tons of trains that derail, but nothing of this measure as often, especially when they're carrying hazardous chemicals. Malika. I think that really speaks to uh, the fact that we're really living as <laughs> Senator Turner would say a duopoly. And so I think in some ways Democrats want to um, advance, I mean, obviously it happened in the Obama administration where they want to advance certain values, but it's not necessarily materializing through actual law and policy. And so I think with this situation, um, the Biden administration is being very careful about they handle this crisis, this environmental crisis, particularly because they know that labor uh, union leaders have talked about the failures of the the wider railroad industry, these large rail conglomerates who raked in billions of profits over the last couple of years. They're trying to be careful about they handle um, really just that, that whole situation because they know that they pretty much sided with these railroad bosses in labor negotiations where leaders were calling out these same safety issues. Absolutely, and the thing is, it's like when it comes to people to judge, at least for me, I wish he was as as hot at the helm as the head of transportation as he is at the mic when he's confronting Fox News. It's like the man knows how to talk really well, but what is he doing? What is getting done? And again, the fact is you got into this job knowing that these Obama era rules had been reversed by the Trump administration. So if anything, that should have been one of your first go to's, not necessarily hitting the talking head, let's go talk on Fox News, cuz I want far more than talk. In fact, America needs that. They need actual help to support we the people. But of course, Trump doesn't necessarily engage in that behavior himself, let's just say. Yeah, because the former president, he made sure he touched down in East Palestine yesterday. And it went, I guess you'd say, just as well as you'd expect. Especially thank some of the incredible people that uh, helped us because we're bringing thousands of bottle of water, Trump water, actually, most of it. Uh, some of it we had to go to a much lesser quality water. <laughs> you want to get those Trump bottles, I think, more than anybody else. But we're bringing a lot of water. I would have that water tested for everything from what chlorine to rehypnol because I don't trust that man to save my life, but that's just me. But anyways, on his little glorified campaign stop out there in Ohio, well, Trump, he had time to visit his own little personal Michelin star restaurant, as we know, is McDonald's. How are you today? Nice to meet you. Hello, everybody. That's a nice, beautiful looking group of people. So I know this menu better than you do. Okay? I probably know it better than anybody in here. Not to be rude, but I do not know how that is a flex, but we know that Trump is definitely an opportunist and he will flex anything. And unfortunately, also, he is going to go ahead and take this tragedy as an opportunity to really prop up his campaign. This per the AP. He also visited Little Beaver Creek to inspect the damage and greeted supporters assembled nearby to cheer him on. 
have fun everybody, Trump told them after signing autographs. Yeah, cuz they're not people suffering and wondering how their health is going to be or how their children are going to survive now that they've been exposed to these hazardous chemicals. Yeah, not really a concern of his. But of course, you know, telling these residents that are suffering one of the most environmental disasters in decades to have fun really just shows you how he is completely and totally disconnected from reality. Is it just me Malika or am I missing something? I mean, I'm all for the dollar menu. I can't tell how many times I will get that real quick <laughs> from DoorDash. But at the same time, if he's purporting to wanting to lead a country and win Ohio back, there are some people might, who might buy this. But I think this is an opportunity for a lot of voters to also see where Trump has failed. And if Fox News is now reporting this, if people are seeing that there's a disconnect between what Trump is saying and what he has actually done, then that spells some trouble for him. Yes, I would like to hope that would be the case, but the man is just the captain of hypocrisy. I feel like that's what he does for a living, but it's so incredibly sad to see some people still, you know, suckling at the teeth that is Trump, even though they know the man does not back up in any way with actions, his words. And also too, his words alone should make you doubt the fact that he says have fun. People are concerned about their health, their safety, their children, and they have good reason to. It's like, what does he really bring to the situation in any way to make you feel safe? Yet so many people still flock to him. It makes me wonder if they've been exposed to some hazardous chemicals in the past, and maybe they're not thinking completely sound. I do not know, but I am honestly tired of people making decisions against their interests. But again, maybe that's just me. Any final words, Malika? I think that <laughs> perhaps some people will still be like that. Um, they might have taken a little some Trump stakes, that Trump education, they might be absorbing all of that. But I think what we have seen in past elections is that even if he might excite some people in the base, he also turns off a lot of other people in the base. And in a place like Ohio and other states in the Midwest, those small differences, a couple of thousand, a couple of 10,000. So if 50 or 100,000 don't wake up, if 10,000 wake up, then that's gonna make a difference. Yes, I truly hope so. And I hope those 10,000 go ahead and influence another 10,000 and make sure that they say something at this dinner table on Sunday so we can influence more because it's just, it's tiring to see people vote against their interests, especially when they realize, or hopefully the situation has made them realize that they can be in a situation where they need to have a sound leader at the helm at any point in time. That there could be a situation in which something that's out of their control jeopardizes their health, safety, and the future of their livelihoods. And so having someone who is prepared, who knows what they're doing, and who is going to get things done is it's incredibly important, it's pivotal. And hopefully people will get that message, if not now, then when I say. But I also say that there will be more unbossed when we get back. See you in a second. Welcome back to Unboss. It's Adrian Lawrence filling in for Senator Turner. And if y'all ain't busy, I suggest you definitely get on the watch list. That's right, J.R. Jackson sharing his takes on the stories that you really should be paying attention to. There's a reason it's called the watch list. Watch list, and you need to check it out because it comes after Unboss, which is dope. So subscribe to the show and watch live daily, 5 Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. 
at YouTube slash watchlist TYT. Also love to check in, see what y'all got to say at TYT.com. The members say, I like Vicky's comment. Good afternoon, Adrian. Everybody buckle up. That's right. We taking for a ride. There we go. Thank you, Vicky, for checking in. Uh, Goose Jail on Twitch says, Adrian, what a lovely surprise. Much appreciated. It's good to see you. And on YouTube, super chat. Well, Embed Dude said, human lives don't fit into the corporate actual calculations. Nope, not at all. Never have, never will. Unfortunately, we know how the system works and the system always looks to protect for some reason the super shady, including the system in Florida. Yep, because they're of course back at it. Actually, I'd say they stay on it. Yeah, the Sunshine States, its lawmakers are attacking landmark defamation law. Their goal here, well, it's to scare people from calling out bigotry. Yeah, check out this headline. It comes from the Tampa Bay Times and it basically says here, uh, no, actually I'd say it actually says, those accused of discrimination would have new protections under Florida bill. That's right. And that bill comes thanks to Florida lawmaker Alex Andrade, who introduced bill HB 991. And so under this bill, it's easier for people accused of what racism, sexism, homophobia, all the isms and other forms of bigotry. It makes it easier for them to win a lawsuit. Here's more about the impact of the bill. The bill would limit who is considered a public figure for the purposes of defamation suits and could make it more difficult for media outlets to use anonymous sources. The bill also could also have a chilling effect on news outlets reporting about people accused of discriminating against others on the basis of race, sexuality, or gender identity. Now remember that a person suing for defamation currently has to prove two things. Requirements for suing defamation, again, they're first, that a publisher disseminated false information. And second, that the false information hurt the person's reputation. So pretty much you put out some untruth and it upset me and it hurt me. And the thing is, is this new law takes that off the table. You don't have to prove that you were hurt in any way. The Tampa Bay Times lays out the issue here. So the bill says that publishing untrue allegations that the plaintiff has discriminated against another person or group because of their race, sex, sexual orientation, or gender identity constitutes what they call defamation per se. And when something is considered defamation per se, it means the plaintiff no longer has to prove that the claim harmed their reputation. The bill also declares that speech from anonymous sources will be presumed false. And that failure to verify or corroborate an alleged defamatory statement will constitute actual malice. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So you don't have to prove reputational harm or damage. And basically what that would look like that if someone is unsavory and has a bad reputation out there, if you speak truth to power about who they are by saying they're a racist or they're a homophobe or a transphobe or whatnot, if they can get a jury or even a judge to say, yeah, that's not true. Based on my interpretation of what racism or transphobia is, then that person doesn't even have to show that it hurt the reputation. So pretty much the unseedy people out there are gonna be able to stay unseedy and capitalize on this in particular. Bill, this is problematic. Before I jump in more with details about this bill, Malaika, I'd love to hear your thoughts as I know you are an editor for Essence. 
<laughs> yeah, I think this just combines the best of both worlds or many worlds for Republicans where they've had this obsession over cancel culture and banning all types of information from schools and also their obsession with having arguments and fights and battles with the media and saying that all the media is spreading disinformation. So it's really curious now when people are actually trying to share information that is helpful. Now they're trying to ban that from, well, or have a chilling effect on the information that people are getting. So I think this is just a continue really for Florida for Republican legislature legislators in Florida to keep making um, a, a statement, a political statement. This is not really about protecting plaintiffs. It's not about protecting information. It's about making a conservative statement and have a chilling effect on people who are becoming more aware of racism and other forms of isms in this country. Absolutely, and the thing is, is that as we see, there's so many people out there that want to deny what racism is. They want to deny what homophobia is, and they want to pretend that, oh no, what I said was a compliment, or oh no, that's truth based on stereotype. And the thing is, is that if they're allowed to continue to define what these things are, as opposed to listening to the experts, to listening to the groups and communities that are harmed by that language, then they're going to be able to rewrite essentially everyone's lives and what that impact of oppression looks like and what it means. In my work as a DEI educator and workplace game changer, I can tell you how many people will like to tell me things like all Asians are good at math is a compliment when no, it is a racist statement. And people like those in Florida who are looking to pass this bill are gonna be able to capitalize on that by saying things like no, that's nice, that's good, that's a compliment. This is going to be extremely problematic. And of course, it's probably gonna work its way to the US Supreme Court if it passes legislation, of course. And it's no doubt that this entire bill is really aiming at Supreme Court precedents. That's that 1964 decision, New York Times versus Sullivan. And that's the case that really heightened the standard for public officials, famous people out there, so that they couldn't sue for defamation for every little thing. Basically, they'd have to show actual malice or some kind of recklessness was involved in the statement that was published. This bill would lower the bar for that. It's essentially attacking Supreme Court precedent. And as we know, having this right wing court set up at the US Supreme Court, who knows how this could shake out. But I'd like to hope since they've seen other challenges potentially come their way, looking to chip away at that Sullivan decision that the court would reject it and that this is something that you know courts would see as violating the first amendment and also violating precedent that's there. But it also violate your pockets if this law actually did pass because it basically is set up so it guarantees that the plaintiff, the person suing would bank at least $35,000. Even if they're not legitimately harmed in any way. All you gotta do is get a judge or a jury to sign on and say, no, that wasn't an ism at all. That wasn't racism, that wasn't sexism. Yeah, and I'd like to think it probably wouldn't be that hard to find somebody in Florida to co-sign. But of course, the governor there, DeSantis, well, earlier this month, he was at a round table and he pretty much said the quiet part out loud. He said this, we must stand up for the little guy against these massive media conglomerates. We've seen over the last generation legacy media outlets increasingly divorce themselves from the truth and instead try to elevate perfectionism over reporting facts. 
That's a really, really cute way of describing people telling the truth and speaking truth. Because the only what media outlet I know out there that's really running amok, shall we say, would be Fox News. But of course, then again, I'd say it's also not journalism whatsoever. But then again, it's Ron DeSantis' friend. Any other thoughts, Malika? I think Florida is just proving to continue to be the Florida of America. <laughs> like it just keeps getting worse and worse. And I'm Sorry for folks who have to endure, you know, it's it's it would be laughable if it weren't also so frightening because we know what can happen when the most extreme of the right wing gets a hold of our law and policy. And when we think something is not going to be overturned, we've seen it become overturned. And you have to then fight at a more local and state level. And unfortunately, this is a is a state bill, but I'm hoping that you know folks on the ground and um, activists can really put their their foot forward and and stand up against it. Yeah, it would be great if people were willing to stand up and push back. But of course, uh, you know, we never know with Florida and what's going on there. And as much as I very much do appreciate having like that panhandle thing there, and it's got some good stuff. You know, it's got swamps and whatnot. But it seems like Marjorie Taylor Greene is kind of down for this whole national divorce thing. In fact, she seems to be pushing again that the nation should separate. Check out this video. Red states could choose and how they allow people to vote in their states. What I think would be something that some red states could propose is, well, okay, if if Democrat voters choose to flee these blue states where they cannot tolerate the living conditions, they don't want their children taught these horrible things and they really change their mind on the types of policies that they support. Well, once they move to a red state, guess what? Maybe you don't get the vote for five years. Wow, that is, it's a very colorful thought and theory. Of course, I, I don't think she's looked at a map because it's like a lot of the blue states are on the outside and kind of the red states are. Anyway, but the way it goes, we know that not everybody agrees with Marjorie Taylor Greene, including myself. And apparently, Neither does Laura Ingram. She is not a big fan of this national divorce notion. And so that female face of Fox News felt she needed to say something about it. Okay, well, first, a law prohibiting American citizens who've not committed a crime from voting would probably not withstand legal scrutiny. And second, how would this, like a national divorce, be good for conservatism? Last thing we need is an American breakup of any sort. Remember, a motto of this show almost from the start, over five years ago, has been no state left behind. Just because it often seems like Democrats have given up on America themselves, doesn't mean ever that Republicans or conservatives should. They should not. I'm certainly not willing to give up on the states that gave us Sinatra, John Wayne, or that welcomed my grandparents from Poland. There are good, hardworking people in Illinois, in New York, and in California, Washington State, who don't want to move and who are looking for new leadership. Oh, look at Laura Ingram putting that University of Virginia law degree to work. And also just speaking facts because there are a lot of people out there who do not think it would be a good thing to divorce these states. And neither do I. And it also would put a lot of states in a bad situation because we over here in the nation of California, well, we kind of stunt when it comes to GDP, but that's just me. But as far as your recollection may serve you, this whole national divorce conversation, it really came into play on Monday when Green tweeted this out here. Basically saying that we have to separate 
by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government. It's very interesting when people like Green have these theories. Because again, if you look at a map and you look at which states are red and which states are blue, you'd notice it doesn't really vote well for a divorce. But anyway, also the logic of income and who is really generating it and how it's being spent. I don't think that Green really paid attention that day. But we also can presume that she definitely posted that original tweet just really to rile up her extreme right wing base. And of course, she has since tripled down. She's really laid into her coded language for seems to be what she's getting at here. And the gentlewoman from Georgia, well, she posted this on Wednesday. People saying national divorce is a bad idea because the left will never stop trying to control us, literally make the case for national divorce. We don't want a civil war, we're not surrendering. We're tired of complaining with no change and want to protect our way of life. That's interesting. I would say that Green's way of life is kind of just code for let's exclude and discriminate against anyone who doesn't fit a white Christian cis hetero narrative. But those are just my thoughts. And also, I kind of think that since, you know, Green is going through a divorce, she might be projecting, and this is more of a conversation she should have with her therapist than her millions of followers on Twitter, assuming she has millions, but I'm sure she does because everybody's got to watch a train wreck. But I know that you would definitely want to imagine that she'd be alone in her little thought process, but apparently not. Her right wing friend, that is felony dodger, Matt Gates. well, he up to Fox News to really share this take. I'm not for a national divorce, but I do think the federal government should at least have to spend the night on the couch for the for a while, like you know Bill Clinton had to after the Monica Lewinsky stuff. I I know that man is not talking about how some someone else's husband was treated when they engaged in some nonsense. But I will go ahead and leave that there. Malika, your thoughts? First of all, I just want to apologize on behalf of the state of Georgia as a Georgia resident that this is what our state has given to us. <laughs> apologies. To say the most outlandish things and I think because of her few or however many likes that she gets on Twitter, she ignores the fact that there are actually a lot of folks in this country who do not believe in that even in her own state. And so when you look at the capitals of a lot of these states, when you're looking at Austin, Texas, when you're looking at Atlanta, Georgia, when you're looking at Miami, Florida, all of these so-called red states have very prominent capitals and prominent major cities where black people, where people of color, where liberal folks live. So I would really love to see what happens once they decide to divorce, are they then going to divorce? from the cities that create their revenue, that generate the revenue for the state as well. If we're going to be divorced, then we just go all the way, divorce from the cities and let's see what happens. It would be very interesting to watch. It's it's incredibly sad. And the thing is, I used to years ago think, oh, well, why can't we just see the union? Let's just go. You know, we don't want to deal with this. But then I also realized that there are individuals, as you've noted, in a lot of these states that are red states and in the cities, there are blue, where there would be a lot of black people and other people of color who have been marginalized who would be abandoned. And they still have some semblance of rights because they are part of the union because we are all rolling together. And so if we're going to be one and protect people, we need to do that to the fullest extent. We don't need to break off so states rights can be the way of the law. Because as we know, 
those states are going to continue to marginalize those individuals. They're going to continue to abuse and mistreat them. And also, as you know, those states are also not going to survive. And that's something that people really need to be made aware of. The fact that we all need each other, except for California, to really continue to do well and to thrive as a country, as a nation, to be able to afford half of the things we afford, even though it basically feels like we are affording capitalism, corporatism, and everything that continues to oppress all of us, even though there are so many people who continue to vote for it because they don't want to see it. Malika, any following closing words on this? I just want to say that's great. Co-sign that, ditto. <laughs> Fantastic, I definitely appreciate it. And I also appreciate this opportunity for a break so I can see what other comments y'all got. So definitely stay around because there's more embossed after this break. Welcome back to and. Definitely you have to watch watch lists. My homie JR Jackson is holding it down daily, sharing stories and takes that you really should be paying attention to. Yeah, that's right. So check out watch list. It comes after Unbossed with Nina Turner and subscribe to the show and watch live again daily, 5 Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific at youtube.com slash watchlist TYT. And also Definitely watch Unbossed, not just because I'm filling in for it, because Nina Turner's rocking it. That's right. If you want to show your support for Unbossed, I'm going to need you to watch live on weekdays. Make sure you subscribe to our channel at youtube.com slash TYT. And we got so much going on and it's every day. Bear that in mind, weekdays, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Again, don't forget to subscribe, youtube.com slash TYT. And let's see what those bosses out there got to say with the TYT members. Mickey says, shh, don't tell Marjorie Q that most red states receive far more federal benefits than they pay in taxes, while most blue states are the opposite. Without the blue states, the red welfare states would starve. Yerp, thank you, say it a little louder because I think uh, MTG is not paying attention. Uh, as far as Twitch goes, well, Barely Funky says every media outlet should do a full frontal assault on this Florida bill, but they won't. You are absolutely right. And the thing is, they will come in as amicus. Oh yeah, they're gonna file some amicus briefs and they're gonna fight because it's not it's not cool. It's just not it's not good for business. No. As far as YouTube, the super chat has to say, well, Schultz says, geez, every day so wrong. Something that makes me want to pull a rebel rabbit and handsaw Florida loose from the continent. I have no idea what those references are. I just, I just don't want you to hurt yourself. That's all. I care about you. Uh, Claire Catrue says Marjorie Taylor Green eggs and Ingram. <laughs> okay, we're gonna have to stop that one. Yeah, that was special. That's a dad joke. I appreciate it, but I will not allow it no more. Uh, I will, however, allow more intel as far as the Proud Boys go. And fortunately, we are learning more about their plans for that January 6th attack on the US Capitol. Uh, you remember that attack, right? Proud Boys. Among the crowd of rioters that stormed the Capitol, authorities say members of the Proud Boys were out front. Video shows a Proud Boys leader, Joe Biggs, walking into the Capitol. Mm, I hope Joe Biggs is in a cell, but mm. let's go ahead and talk about some people who are probably on their way to one. Well, the new intel, it's rolling in and it's coming courtesy of a former lieutenant 
for the Proud Boys extremist group. And he happened to deliver two days of testimony before a jury in DC federal court. The dude's name is Jeremy Bertino. Here's a picture of him right there. Um, as you can tell, he's a winner. Well, he was the sole Proud Boy to accept a guilty plea to seditious conspiracy. And so this for CNN, Jeremy Bertino testified as part of a cooperation deal that he struck with the prosecutors against Chairman Enrique Torrio and four other members of the Proud Boys charged with conspiring to stop the certification of the 2020 presidential election. Now Bertino answered, I love that they put these little labels. It's like they're doing something official. I wonder if they got badges, kind of like, you know, kind of like the little boys who do that and they like sell Girl Scouts, boy, I don't know. Anyway, but as we know, Bertino was not at the insurrection on January 6th. He wasn't in Washington. He was home sitting on his couch like a what couch commando in North Carolina because he was recovering from a stab wound that he suffered at an earlier Trump rally. Yeah, it sounds like he has a lot of free time. Anyways, that really didn't stop him though, because he continued to direct his fellow Proud Boys from his couch using his phone. He testified to this. We had a big fight on our hands. It was going to be an uphill battle and everyone had turned against us. My belief was that we had to take the reins and pretty much be the leaders that we had been building ourselves up to be. Again, people need therapy. But as far as Bertino's testimony goes, it pretty much allowed the prosecutors to really walk the jurors through how the events of January 6th went down. But the thing is, is Bertino testified that there was not a premeditated or specific plan to storm the Capitol, which is interesting and it could impact you know, the prosecution's case since you generally need to conspire to something. Well, in fact, Bertino described it like this. Getting the Proud Boys to communicate and work together was like herding cats. The Proud Boys had several group messages from the days before the riot where members mentioned descending on the Capitol building. Even though there was no purported plan, the armed hate group had expectations though. As court as court challenges members of the Proud Boys who saw themselves as the foot soldiers of the right began to believe the country was headed toward an all out revolution, Bertino testified. I felt it coming, he said. Members also were inspired by then President Donald Trump's reference to their organization in a 2020 presidential debate where he told the group to stand back and stand by. And of course, just as quickly as Trump riled them up, he was quick to abandon them because that's what he does. If it doesn't serve in his interests, he's not here for it. As you can see from this MSNBC headline noting that no, Donald Trump won't be the Proud Boys star witness. He is not here to uplift anybody but himself. Yet these Proud Boys felt like they needed to be the savior of the right or the white, depending on you know word usage. But the reality is that they engaged in some criming last I checked. Whether it's seditious conspiracy, we will see. But Bertino seemed to be more than willing to go ahead and share all of his knowledge to save himself. Malika, does that shock you? <laughs> ah, I wish it did. You know, it would be really great if there was something shocking about what continues to come out. Um, in the aftermath of the January 6th riots. Um, it's also not shocking because we saw a lot of these messages spread on social media, spread quite publicly in multiple channels. I was on Parler, uh, I joined for a few weeks sometime around the uh, 
was going on um, in some of these more right wing spaces because I was reporting on it and they were straight up calling. I mean, we don't know who what groups they're affiliated with, but a number of these right wing groups were straight up calling for a revolution. And my question is, what exactly are you changing? A revolutionary a revolution normally changes the guard, but you already had Donald Trump in office. You already have a number of the right wing in office. So if you're talking about overturning um, from the Democratic uh, presidency, do you have any goals? Like, are there any specific ideals? Like, what exactly is it? And so, for the life of me, what I, I think I've had a struggle with is understanding what exactly the Proud Boys want. If they're trying to get at, you know, these disaffected men, in what way will a Trump presidency do that when he was in office for all the years that you were complaining? So, it just baffles, all of it baffles me, honestly. But none yeah. of these are shocking. Yeah, and it's incredibly baffling. It's like these individuals had way too much time on their hands. And also they had been indoctrinated in terms of a hate and this thought of superiority, like they needed to control people. And I'm sure their agenda truly was to dominate marginalized people and to ensure women were subordinate in some way. And that's what they were looking to get back to that true what 1780, 1800 style, you know, kind of lifestyle in some way. And I don't know, uh, how they thought that that would benefit the United States at all, as opposed to letting it operate to the democracy that it says it is. Um, but it's just incredibly, uh, I guess, not shocking that this and to be out here, uh, you know, telling all to protect himself, uh, especially when they seem to have this thought of themselves as being these strong commando uh, kind of mentality when it's like the first sign of trouble and you are out here spilling your gut so that you can avoid as much prison time as possible. It really shows you that these people, they have this theory in their mind where they are playing GI Joe, but they're not down for things when they get intense and they get real. It just, as far as I'm concerned, it's pathetic. But Malika, any closing thoughts on that? I just hope we have on record where they are acknowledging that this was apparently not BLM or Antifa behind any of this. So I'm glad we've got some court records to put that on the record books. Yeah, definitely. I want that on the record too. I really wish the entire term Antifa would make its way out of a lot of people's vocabulary. But there is something that I want to be more in our vocabulary, which is paid leave. And even though it's not federally mandated, well, Illinois is out here looking to change the game. Yes, right? Yeah, so check out this headline from the AP. Illinois poised to mandate paid leave for nearly all workers. Hey now, I can get behind this. Here is the news per the AP, expansive paid leave legislation requiring Illinois employers to give workers time off based on hours worked to be used for any reason is ready for action by Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker, who said he will sign it. Requiring paid vacation is rare in the United States, just Maine and Nevada have similar laws. Industrialized nations. Now, 14 states and Washington, D.C. require employers offer paid sick leave via similar laws, although employees may only use it for health related issues, even though you know we use it for whatever we want. What sets Illinois' new legislation apart is workers won't have to explain the reason for their absence as long as they provide notice in accordance with reasonable employer standards. That is something I very, very much like because the thought that I don't have to explain to you. 
You know, I don't have to justify to you why I don't want to be here. Uh, I think everybody should have that opportunity, uh, especially because there are so many of those wonderful Nordic nations that enjoy it. And I believe this is also something that is the way it should be across the nation. But before I dive into that, Malika, how does this sound to you so far? I think this is a an incredible development. And I think this also goes to show again how important it is to have power at the state and local level. Because we know that this is something that folks have advocated for through through the um, um, not just the, the Build Back Better bill and through all of the federal uh, um, policies that folks were, were really pushing for under the Biden administration um, so far in his first term. And we have not seen that at a national level yet. So to see it happening in a major state and the possibility of maybe this expanding to other states or it being a model where other states may follow it, I think that's great news. Absolutely, I think it is great, and I hope a lot of other states out there adopt it. Because you know, but for the cowardliness of a lot of uh, our lawmakers across the nation, this would here, and it shows that paid leave and what it looks like for individuals who are new parents, new mothers. Do we have that map? There it is, nice and color coded. Yeah, the World Policy Analysis Center at UCLA put this out to show you what countries actually offer a lot more paid leave, like 24 weeks or more in that dark green area, that territory there. And again, this is just for individuals who are new mothers, new parents, which again, giving birth is a major, major surgery operation. And there are so many complications that go on with it. Is truly, truly undermined here in our nation, as opposed to recognizing it for the suffering that it is. But still, people deserve their time away, and they should be able to heal and to grow. And but for again cowardliness, we would have this enshrined because much like healthcare, we are lagging when it comes to paid leave for all workers, even though the benefits are undeniable across the board. Check this out. So some of the benefits of paid leave providing. New parents with paid time off to care for newborns, which are terrorists, mind you, or recently adopted children. Also improves maternal health, enhances families' economic security, lets workers care for themselves and loved ones when they're ill or they're injured, benefiting businesses by improving retention and productivity and boosting labor force participation. Yeah, those are all facts, and there are things that have been known. Their policies for leaders in other nations. Why the United States can't get on board is beyond me. But I would definitely say our capitalistic culture and our corporatism would seem to be fueling this problem here. Malika, thoughts? Absolutely. And I think in terms of capitalism fueling this culture, and you know, to know a lot of those Nordic countries are still capitalists, but our level of capitalism in this country, unfortunately, has been guided by a lot of anti black racism and really maligning the poor and blaming them for their own problems. So anytime we have a bill, whether we're talking about healthcare, whether we are talking about affordable housing and public housing, anything that can be associated with people of color, with folks who are a little bit less well off, who are othered in this country. Unfortunately, there is a lot of movement to malign those folks and to make it seem like they're beyond the pale and they're just 
accepting a handout. And in fact, we consider it anti-American. So we have a whole history of making sure that we don't get basic things. And so this is just a reminder, this is basic. This is something that um, almost every, I think actually every industrial country has. America, the United States is the only one that does not have this. And so we need to applaud Illinois for doing this and also recognize just how much of the barest of bare minimums this actually is. Because beyond its benefits for the economy, our mental health is in shambles. Like, we, why do you, well, you know, case of the Mondays and people are complaining about not having a four day week and that adulthood is ghetto. It's partly ghetto because we are overworked and we cannot take the time off just to handle our mental health. I've got some other things I want to say about that, but I'm gonna let my rant go right there. All right, well, definitely make sure you get in the time because Lord knows we it's 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 past time where these states, where these leaders, these lawmakers actually start looking out for the people. And because we started the uh, the shows talking about trains, we might as well kind of finish it on that note. You know, since that derailment in East Palestine is kind of at the forefront of our minds when you think about individuals who are rail workers and the fact that they had to fight for paid sick leave earlier this year, last year, the headlines from the Hill, check this out here, Senate rejects proposal to give rail workers seven days of paid sick leave. And then consequences, well, they're real. This from Common Dreams, betrayal of rail workers ignites working class fury toward Biden and Democrats. Yeah, because there are severe consequences. And as the Honorable Nina Turner has noted on Twitter, you can't be pro-labor if you do not stand in solidarity with workers when they decide to strike, period. Absolutely, when your workforce is in need, when they just want maybe one or two days off so that they can go see their child at a school function or maybe even go get dental work. You are really doing an injustice to the people who are bolstering you up and keeping your enterprise alive. And yet, because we are seen as human capital that is entirely disposable, our lawmakers don't do anything to Final thoughts, Micah. I think that's a perfect way to encapsulate the problem because when people are not getting paid sickly, when they're not being treated as human beings, when they're treated as just a cog in the capitalist machine, then that cog can break down, that cog can derail. And it ends up being even more costly, even more of a crisis and an environmental crisis, a PR crisis and an economic crisis as well. Absolutely, and that crisis will lead to chaos. And I could just tell you it's all raggedy and it does not look good. But something that does look good is Malika Jabali and her being on this show. Thank you so much for joining us for this hour, sharing your insight. I know as you do at Essence, um, I love that you brought it to the screen. Can you please tell the followers where they can find you? Well, you can go to Essence.com and just type my name in and it's gonna be there and then also check me out on Twitter. I'm using it a little bit less. I don't know what the Elonification is doing over there, but check me out Malika at Malika Jabali or Instagram at Miss Jabali. Fantastic, we will definitely will do that. And I hope you all will make sure you come back tomorrow for Unbossed. I don't think it's me being here because of course I don't check my calendar until I actually got to do something. But I definitely appreciate you all staying with us. And please know that we got the amazing J.R. Jackson for Watchlist coming up next. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. 
If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.